Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. So I like a good story about underdogs. Speaking of teachers, my favorite teacher is sitting here on the front row. And one of the things that I like best about Kelly the teacher is that she always is rooting for the underdog. She's always looking for that person who, uh, who feels like the odds are stacked against. I, too, love a good underdog story. As a matter of fact, some of my favorite stories throughout the whole universe of literature have to do with the oppressed, and they are told from the vantage point of the oppressed. I don't think I'm alone. I I think a lot of us like these kinds of stories. We sympathize or maybe even empathize with the oppressed, and, and maybe there's something down deep within us that sort of aches for the oppressors to finally get theirs. To finally get what's coming to them. There, there is a whole, there's a whole universe of theology called liberation theology that, that posits this, that God is always on the side of the oppressed. And at some point, God will so be on the side of the oppressed that everything will get turned upside down. I like a good story told from the vantage point of the oppressed. I, I love a character like Jean Valjean. This is the second French Revolution, and they are not only oppressed, they are hungry. And, and so often, the most powerful forms of oppression have to do with food or the lack thereof. Nothing galvanizes the resistance. Nothing galvanizes pushback or rebellion like being hungry. There's just something about it. And sure enough, Jean Valjean is a part of that oppressed part of town, that oppressed uh, uh, side of the argument. I don't know if you remember uh, Katniss Everdeen here on the right, but Katniss Everdeen, and this entire, the entire series is called what? Remember? The Hunger Games. And it was a, 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 a fictional, dystopian sort of series about this group of people who were oppressed and in some sense starved. Oppressed and starved and finally, finally, All kinds of energy is generated because they are hungry and they finally push back against their oppressors. There's something, there's something about food. There's something about food that is so powerful that it can galvanize an uprising and a rebellion, maybe even organize an army. I want you and I need you to have this mindset as we listen to these stories. Now, this is a very familiar story, and it is, like I've said to you before, a very dangerous thing for a pastor to preach a text that is so incredibly familiar to you. You all knew when you walked in here as five loaves and two fish and not two loaves and five fish. I mean, you all know something about this. Now, what I learned this week and what I hope you'll keep with you now is that this is a hunger story. There's a lot going on here that makes this miracle even more miraculous. Rome occupied this land, occupied this land, and made a puppet out of the Jewish king, Herod. For all intents and purposes, Herod worked for Rome. And they conspired together to hoard the resources to hoard the resources. 
there is all kinds of evidence that there was widespread hunger throughout this time. All kinds of evidence to suggest that perhaps a lot of the people who came to see John the Baptist, a lot of the people who came to see Jesus saw something or heard something from John the Baptist or Jesus that fit their dreams and their hopes and their expectations that there would someday be an uprising after which we can all finally eat. This was an angry bunch of people. An angry bunch of people who looks like had installed, at least where their imagination was concerned, had installed these two voices. John the Baptist, crazy person, wore camel skin, just sort of fought the man, got out and and preached hard against the man. And then Jesus, who was doing a lot of really cool and miraculous stuff. And it turns out, Jesus and John the Baptist We're tight, we're close, family, kin, co-conspirators, who by now had quite the following. There was, included on the roster of disciples, there was this guy by the name of uh, Simon. He was a zealot. Now, zealots sought the overthrow of the Roman occupation. They wanted to see everything turned upside down by whatever means necessary. And you've heard me say this too. There is this argument throughout Scripture, conversation a lot of people say. I would say full-out argument. And on the two sides, you've got these two sides. This was the argument. How will God go about winning? On one side of this argument, people said, well, God will go about winning by beating them at their own game. We will fight with the tools and the weapons of the enemy, and we will knock them all out. You see that perhaps most clearly in the intertestamental part. Remember the story of the Maccabees. If you don't, it goes something like this. Judas Maccabeus, nicknamed the Hammer, fought, fought, military style, and pushed back the occupiers and reclaimed the temple for a while. God be praised. And there were a whole lot of people who said, this is how God fights through our swords. But then you had another side of this argument. And you can find this other side of the argument in the last part of the book of Isaiah. You can find it throughout the book of Daniel. I would say you can find it also, because Revelation reflects so much of the book of Daniel, you can find it in the book of Revelation as well. And I think today you can hear Jesus, as Jesus said, here's the way we're going to fight. We're going to let God fight, and we're going to be faithful. So this was an ongoing argument between the people who thought, no, we will bear arms and fight just like they fight, and another group of people over here who said, we will not fight because we are a part of the Lord's army, yes, sir, and we're going to let God fight for us. But there was Simon the Zealot, and he was plenty ready to fight, like with fists, I don't think he was alone. I think there was a whole lot of people who were tired of being hungry. Tired of being hungry, ready to organize, ready to push back, at least against idiot Herod, and maybe even against the entire Roman structure. I I tell you this, Rome thought that this group of people had it in them to organize and fight back. And so, Several decades earlier, well, 
probably 30 years before this, maybe 20 years before this, Rome said, you think you're going to push back on Rome? We're going to wipe you out. And they actually crucified 2,000 people. Rome also suspected that this ragtag bunch of folks would someday organize because they were hungry. They were hungry, and so at some point, we think they'll probably organize and fight against us, and so we better take some proactive measures, and they did. It was deadly, and it was violent, but it didn't keep those who remained from thinking about war. It didn't keep those who remained from hating their captors. This is all necessary stuff, necessary background information. You need this to understand the power of what's happening in this very common at least where we're concerned, commonly understood miracle. Well, then news came that John the Baptist, one of the mouthpieces for the resistance, then the news came that he had been arrested. He was being held prisoner by Herod. Now, Herod surely would be smart enough not to harm John the Baptist because that would only fire up the troops. <laughs> but then Herod had a dinner party. You can see this in the first part of chapter 14. Had a dinner party. There was some dancing there at this dinner party. And in the process, Herod, so appreciative of this dance and this particular dancer, said, what can I give you? Well, it turns out John the Baptist had been speaking out like John the Baptist always did about the illegitimacy of this relationship that was taking place inside of the Jewish royal palace. And so when he asked this dancer, what would you like? This dancer said, well, I tell you what, I'd kind of like loudmouth John to be silenced. I kind of like his head on a platter. So you have this incredible feast, this giant party. I bet they had the best food available. The best kind of food available. My suspicion is that people at this particular dinner party were looking over the walls at the other people out there, hunger, hungry. My suspicion is every once in a while they would say something like this, let them eat cake. And then what's worse, what's worse, as evidence that they see all of us as expendable, they take one of our leaders, John the Baptist, and what seems like a, a pretty whimsical sort of decision, John's life, John's life was ended. And sure enough, he was beheaded, his head brought out on a platter because I guess the dancer was just that good. Now, imagine you're part of the resistance. Understand yourself as part of the resistance, you're hungry and you're angry and you're terrified. This is the only miracle story found in each of the four gospels. This is an amazing thing. It means it's a very important point that we're going to make today. The similarities that you're gonna to hear to the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. You may ever once in a while say, oh, this sounds like the same God that, yeah, that's the right thing to think. And Jesus now mourns the loss of John the Baptist. John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. 
You heard this read. Stacy said, now when Jesus heard this, you may not have known what the this was. Well, this is the this. <laughs> that John the Baptist had been killed. John the Baptist had been killed, and Jesus, not surprisingly, because Jesus is chronically human, everybody recognizes that, right? A very real, very normal, tangible Jesus now mourns the loss of John the Baptist. So he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place, the wilderness. Man, it seems like throughout Scripture, really good things happen in the wilderness, though maybe getting to the wilderness was not really a good thing. But once you're out there, God seems to meet you in the wilderness. And so Jesus, knowing this, goes to the wilderness, to a deserted place. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from all of the towns. All of the towns, the occupied territory, where the food distribution system was set, not by these folks, but by Rome and that entire infrastructure set by Herod and all of Herod's cronies. Those towns, all of the people from the resistance movement, they leave these towns and they go out to hear something from Jesus. As Jesus came ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion. What scripture says in the original language goes something like this. He felt in his gut something as he saw them, compassion. Literally, in his bowels, he felt something as he sees all of them. And my sense is it's because he was identifying with them. He had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. Although that's a funny word, too. It's not like the same word that we see with illnesses and all that kind of thing. It's, it could have been like this. And he helped them with their weakness. Yeah, I would imagine there would be some weakness. They'd lost a member of the resistance. Not just any member of the resistance. They had lost one of the leaders of the resistance. They had lost a very important voice in the resistance. They'd lost John the Baptist. And not only at this point are they mourning his loss. Now, probably, and probably Jesus, they're terrified. What's next? What happens now? What happens now to our movement? What happens now to Jesus? What happens now to all of us? When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is the wilderness, Jesus. No restaurants out here. Town so small, they did not even have a sonic, y'all. Completely deserted. The hour is late. Send these folks away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Send them home. Send them home. There's, there's no food to be found out here. I mean, the system controls all the food. There's none of it out here. And they're hungry. They're tired. They're weak. And by the way, it's interesting. It's interesting. Jesus' terminology is cured here. But the root word has to do with therapy. You can make the case here that Jesus was doing 
therapy and identifying and empathizing with their pain. And Jesus was in, was in full empathizing mode when the disciples say, hey, Jesus, let's, come on, let's think about this, bud. Let's think, Jesus, practically, Jesus. All right, now, uh, pause. The sermon today is not some sort of diatribe against practical thinking. <laughs> Please, people, continue to think practically. If anything, this sermon says this. Your practical thought is great and perhaps even God-given, but please do not limit God to your practical thinking, amen? Practically speaking, Jesus, these folks are hungry, they're worn out, they're weeping, you're weeping. It's a lot, therapy takes a lot out of you. Can we please send these people home? And Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, if we had wanted to capture the oomph of the original language, we would have translated that, that phrase, you give them something to eat, like this. We would have translated it and maybe even see Jesus pointing at the disciples who have brought him this very practical suggestion. It is you yourselves, you Give them something to eat. Uh, Jesus, 5,000 men. 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. So maybe, maybe as many as 20,000 people. Jesus looks at 12 disciples and he says, take care of it. In your Bible, does the heading say, Jesus feeds the 5,000? Maybe it should say, Jesus enables the 12 to feed the 5,000. Oh, can you start that? This sermon almost preaches itself from that point on end. I mean, I'm still going to do it and all, but still, it kind of... They reply, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says something fantastic here that I want you to hear, church. We have lots of discussions that we have to have here, okay? Jesus says something important, and he says this to them in verse 18. Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. All right, Jesus, we've got five loaves and two fish. You have a 20,000-person problem. To which Jesus responds, you are going to help me. And here's how you're going to help me. Bring me what you've got. Bring me what you've got. And so they bring him five loaves and two fish. Now, very interestingly here, very interestingly, it says there, the first of verse 19, I don't have it here. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. In other gospels, in other gospels, he has them sit down in groups, right? You almost get the impression that Jesus himself is organizing this giant group of people, these 5,000 men, 
into companies and divisions. There's almost a military sort of feel to it. So I'm going to organize you, and maybe they start thinking, all right, we're about to have maneuvers. We're about to get into this whole thing. We're about to do something good here. None of that is here in, in the book of Matthew, but I'm struck that it's in another book. I'm also struck that it's not even mentioned here. Jesus just has them sit down. Guys, 5,000 people, it makes a pretty good fighting force, amen? And so what Jesus does is he organizes them so that he can teach them how to fight, right? Nope, he says, sit down, let's eat. And so he has them sit down on the grass. See if this sounds at all familiar to you. Verse 19 now. Then, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. If you're paying attention, and you've been here for any length of time, these words that I have underlined for you jump off the page. Taken, blessed, broken, given. Does that sound familiar at all? If you're visiting today, here's why those words sound so familiar. Every week, whoever is up there doing what I'm about to do here in a second, every week somebody says, taken, blessed, broken, given. Oh, oh. You know, if you think about it, then maybe this story informs what we should be thinking as we involve ourselves in this story, or, or maybe it goes the other way around too. Maybe what we do here can and should inform what we understand to be happening in Matthew chapter 14, and that answer is yes. What is going on there in Matthew 14? Well, let's go back through it. There is captivity. There is oppression. There is damage. <laughs> there is hunger. And there is the temptation to fight on the terms of the enemy. There's a temptation to fight with the tools and the weapons of the enemy. There's even the energy for it, I believe. And now there's reason with the death of John the Baptist. I thumbed through a book this week called Zealot, written about Jesus. And while I think there's a lot of good stuff in that book about Jesus, I would say this to you. If, if Jesus were really a zealot, this was the perfect time for Jesus to organize the people into an effective fighting force. And what he does instead is sit them down for a picnic. And we believe he won the battle. So there's all this captivity. There's all this hunger. There's this, this deep belief and knowledge that somebody else controls the food and the distribution of the food. To which the Christ says, I'm the king of abundance. <laughs> I'll tell you when there's no food. Until that time, there's plenty but I need you to do what you can do. Bring what you have. 
and then in the hands of Jesus. What you bring is taken, blessed, broken, given, distributed, and there's more than enough. It's interesting, um, I think all of us, probably me included, look at this story and we say, look, there's more than enough. There's 12 baskets full. We don't know how big the baskets were, even if it was a huge basket. Maybe it was just the size of a laundry basket, right? When you're talking about 20,000 people, that's not a whole lot left. Like you couldn't, those 12 baskets weren't going to go very far. Here's what we should hear then. God knew exactly how much was needed. Bring what you have. Place what you have into the hands of a God of abundance. Let God do what God does. And there'll be enough. So we have this OKCU thing next week. Dr. Roland, Dr. Lee Roland is going to come and talk to us about how hard he knows it is to be the church that decides to stay in the neighborhood and still be the church. He's going to talk to us about that for one hour. Then we're going to feed you Oklahoma Station barbecue, brisket, and, chick- and turkey. Amen. Then we're going to have some breakout sessions. And then Dr. Roland is going to finish again with another hour to talk to us about how hard that. And, and listen to me. Listen to me. This week, I sat at the end of the table with Kaylee and Mike, and we all we kind of went back and forth between, "Wow, we don't know what we don't know." And this is really, really hard to, man, God has been good. We need help to be the kind of church that I believe that God is calling us to be. And maybe sitting where you are, you would say, I think I know what kind of church we're kind of be. I just don't know if I have anything to offer. To you, I would say, bring what you have. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back to you and say, hey, we need to do something where the debt on the coal center is concerned. By the way, I cannot imagine not having that place. Some weeks, there are a thousand different people who come through there. It is used every day of the week. And we're going to talk that same day about the possibility of kids remodel. <laughs> That's a chunk, isn't it? Bring what you have. Okay, most importantly, we had this discussion in Sunday school with my young adult class. Hey, if you somehow feel like that this is just about volunteer hours and the ways in which you could financially support what we believe God's trying to do here, you're missing a much larger point, which is this. It's not just that God wants your volunteer hours. I think God does. It's not just that God wants you to support financially what we're trying to do here. I think God wants that too. More than that, God wants you. 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 We asked ourselves today a very difficult question around the circle. How many of us in the name of balance have erected boundaries that effectively protect us from God. 
To you, to you, God says, bring what you have. I'm the God of abundance. (laughs) To you, God says, come. Watch what I can do when you do what you can do. I say this to you on a regular basis. I want you to hear it today with this story as a backdrop. We do this every week because I want it to become a part of our theological instinct as we move around, not just in this room, but out there. And I hope that we have so much communion bread, (laughs) you are what you eat, that we finally recognize ourselves as the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given. So if you're helping us, if you would come to the table now. Help us to set this table. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, bread and cup. Today, God, um, May we eat and drink today with this very familiar story still close by in our imagination. Heavenly Father, may we understand as the bread is taken, blessed, broken, and given, may we understand ourselves increasingly to be those people who are taken, blessed, broken, and given. Heavenly Father, more and more and more would you convince us? Would you convince us that we are called to do what we can do, to bring what we have? Heavenly Father, help us to see, help us to see that in this particular story, Jesus gave the people all the evidence that they needed that Rome did not finally control all the food and all the distribution. May we get a glimpse of their glimpse. May we have at least a measure of their faith to understand and to see how it is, even in today's society, where we are tempted and intimidated to believe that somebody else controls all the resources, that somebody else controls the the distribution of those resources, may we not be so intoxicated and intimidated by all of those voices out there that we don't see that finally you are the Lord of abundance, the author of creation, and the breaker of bread. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive. Your hands cupped to receive that which can't be gotten any other way, received as a gift. You'll approach someone with bread, that person will snap off a piece of bread and place it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it, 
but place it then into the cup. Someone standing there will be holding a cup. Dip it into that cup. That person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then if you would, if you would, please find a place to pray. Now, there are several different places that you can go to pray. <clears throat> over here are these side healing altars, one over here and one over here. If you come to one of those side healing altars, someone will meet you there and anoint you with oil and pray a prayer that we believe very deeply, James Shea. <laughs> we believe that God can heal. We believe in the companionship of the Spirit. Or you can come to one of these mourner's benches, these kneeling benches, and we may not know what you're praying about, but we do know that you won't pray alone. Somebody will come and touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder, just to let you know that you're not alone. Teachers, educators, people involved in the educational process, no matter who you are or how you're involved, please somehow gather right here. If you're teaching kids in your home, I'm talking about you. Please gather here at the end of our prayer time today. Dr. Tashton is going to pray a prayer of commissioning because I know so many of you are called just as much as I'm called to do what I do. There is a bowl of water here. If you need that little jog to your memory, something to help you to remember that you belong amongst the chosen, the called, the baptized, then just dip your fingers into this water and may the chill of the water jolt your memory. May you remember the scene of your baptism and remember that you are in fact within the movement of God. If you can't come to us, Caleb and Kristen will come to you. Who is welcome at this table? All of you who understand your need for grace, no matter what your morning was like, no matter what your weekend was like, no matter what you dragged in here with you, if you understand your need for this grace, you are welcome today and every week at this table. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you and every time you eat of it remember me after dinner he took the cup and he held it up before them saying and this is my blood the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it remember me and now all across the sanctuary if you would stand to your feet exit your pew to the left come forward with your hands cupped to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God.
confession before turning it over to Brittany to pray prayers of petition and then finally to Dr. Tashin to pray this prayer of commission and end us with the Lord's Prayer. If you are a teacher, I'd like to make another invitation for you to come and gather around this altar of educators so that we can pray this prayer of commissioning for you as well.
Dear Heavenly Father, we admit, we confess confess, Lord, that we can be intimidated by these other voices that seem to be in control of the resources, that seem to be in control of the the distribution. We, We confess, Lord, that at times we feel out of control. Those are probably the times when we don't remember that you are, in fact, the Lord of abundance. We confess, Lord, that we aren't always good at listening for your voice as you call us, as you call us to bring what we have, to place it into your hands. We confess, Lord, that we use boundaries. We use a a sense of balance defined by somebody other than you to protect ourselves against the hard claims of the gospel hard claims you would make on our lives. We confess all of that. Just ask that you would draw us a step closer. Draw us a step closer so that we can catch at least a glimpse of what it was that the 5,000 saw that day. Give us a glimpse of your capacity for abundance when we give what we have. And today, Lord, give ourselves. Now hear us as we pray for the sick among us. Take just a moment now. If you know someone who's in need of physical, emotional, or relational healing, would you just lift them up to the Lord in prayer? Take a moment to pray for Lynn and Trudy Caprero as Lynn is still in the hospital. Pray for Walt Crow as he recovers from surgery. Dr. Dennis Bratcher going into his cardiologist on Monday to find out what's wrong. we lift these precious people up to you knowing that you are the God of abundance that you heal what is broken be with us as we walk along the journey alongside broken people as we too are broken and we would offer ourselves to you for healing gracious God the God of all wisdom We give you thanks for the gift of new beginnings. At the beginning of this school year, we bring to you these, your servants, who have devoted their lives to the task of educating children, youth, and adults. Pray that you will be present with them throughout this year. Grant them your direction, your presence, your spirit. In those times when there are challenges, when there are anxieties about the unknown, when there are expectations from parents, friends, and oneself, 
pray that your spirit and your grace may be at work in their lives. And we pray that all of us be in prayer and in support and encouragement to them as they face their daily, daily tasks. May they sense that we are one with them and we support them with our prayers and words of encouragement. We give you thanks that you have called us to different tasks and callings and vocations. May we do our work well and we bring honor and glory to you. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. And now, as children of God, let us bring to a close this time of prayer with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.